Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on January 12th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... The weather is top of mind. We've already had several tornado warnings this morning, and severe cold temperatures are expected to sweep across the state next week, early next week. Michael Hill with the National Weather Service in Jackson will talk with us live. Then a book about United Auto Workers unionizing in the South and why a full-on effort to unionize the Nissan plant in Canton, Mississippi, failed. Plus, the Mississippi Children's Museum is hosting an event this weekend about the art of storytelling for children. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. We're talking about the weather. As I mentioned, we have had several Tornado warnings this morning. There is active, severe weather. There are thunderstorms taking place right now. Michael Hill with the National Weather Service in Jackson is here to give us an update and tell us what we can expect. Michael, are you there? Yes, ma'am, I'm here. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us some insight. What can we expect today? As I mentioned, we've already had warnings and there is severe thunderstorm going on right severe thunderstorms going on right now. Oh uh, yes, ma'am. Right now we have a uh, line of broken uh storms that are moving through the state. Uh they're mostly lined up along fifty five at the moment and they're pushing eastward. Uh we're expecting winds of uh 50 to 70 miles per hour with that, with those gusts, with those thunderstorms. Um, so we, that's why we have those severe thunderstorm warnings out. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Once you get a warning, just go inside, take heed of the warnings because it is really windy out there um, with the thunderstorms. And we also have a wind advisory for today that is going to be windy outside of the thunderstorm. So uh, if you're over in Meridian, there's no there no thunderstorms, but it's probably still pretty windy out there. Uh, so we can expect that wind to, to, to stick around the rest of the day. Do you know yet if there has been any damage reported associated with the warnings that have already occurred? Uh, yes, we have had reports of uh, trees and power lines down uh, in places uh no reports of a tornado, uh, but we do have trees and power. And that's what we're really um, trying to hit home was the damage and winds uh, threat for us. Uh, so if you get a thunderstorm, just be, be prepared that, you know, you might have a few trees and some power lines and some power outages. Uh, so 
uh, that that has happened this morning. Uh, we had a few reports in Sunflower County. Uh, we had a few reports back further to the uh, west as well, across southeast um, Arkansas as well. Will the entire state see severe weather, and what particular areas will it be most severe? Well, as we as we're looking at it right now, most of the areas along and north of I twenty have a better shot of seeing those damaging winds and uh, heavier thunderstorms. We are monitoring. We do have a few storms off to the south. Uh, that'll that's down towards uh, Brookhaven, all the way up through uh, I-20. So we are monitoring storms down there. They have severe thunderstorm warnings down there as well. And we can expect those storms to continue to push off to the east, and we'd expect to have um, severe thunderstorm warnings uh, and uh more damage further east we go later on this afternoon or this morning as well so uh the good news is is that the storm should be out of the state by noon uh you said by noon noon yes ma'am okay will any of these storms potentially lead to tornadoes that's a possibility but we're really more concerned with the damaging winds um we're not going to rule out any other tornadoes, but we do have a tornado watch through 11 a.m. for the rest of, you know, for for a large portion of the state. However, uh, the biggest threat we, we're seeing right now is the damaging winds not associated with the tornadoes. You have mentioned some wind speeds. When, at what speed do winds become a significant danger? Uh, well, <laughs> they, they're... Any wind speed can be a danger, especially if you have a weakened tree. Uh, you can have winds of 30 miles per hour knock a tree down into a house and it can kill somebody or hit a, hit a car. So um, that's why we have the wind advisory out for to cover ourselves uh, for winds outside of thunderstorms. Uh, and then when you get to the thunderstorm winds where they get up to 50, 60, 70 miles an hour, of course those are dangerous. So uh, it really depends on the structures and, and, and the housing. Uh, so anything over 25 is generally could be dangerous depending on the situation. Moving into the weekend, we are looking at freezing temperatures into the early part of the week. Give us a, a perspective of what we can expect. Well, this weekend we're going to be fine. It'll be a little cool this weekend. However, the cold, dangerous cold, will be Monday night, Tuesday Tuesday morning and into Wednesday morning as well. What temperatures? Uh, so we're we're talking about temperatures um, near ten degrees, maybe in the morning, um, maybe even some single digits uh, across a large portion of the forecast area, all the way down. Uh, we're talking about very cold temperatures. Once we get below freezing on Monday night, we won't get above freezing probably until Wednesday. And below freezing is what temperature? 32. So we'll go below 32 Monday night, Tuesday morning, right? Uh, Monday night, and we won't get back above freezing until at least midday Wednesday. And what are you telling people to do? We're telling people to, to, to take precautions now to insulate their pipes, um, check on their uh, elderly, Make sure you have everything in place for a severe cold. We're going to be cold for a solid maybe 36 to 48 hours, uh, very cold uh, temperatures. 
protect your pipes, plants, people, and pets. All right. Well, thank you so much, Michael Hill with the National Weather Service in Jackson for spending some time with us to help us get a picture of what we need to do and what is going to be happening weather-wise in the coming days. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Moving on, the Mississippi Department of Health has issued a boil water notice for Jackson and Flowood, but the court-appointed leader of Jackson's water system says he believes the result was an error. The health department says they found E. coli in the water tests. During a press briefing yesterday afternoon, water manager Ted Hennepin of Jackson said residents should still boil their water. Yesterday on the 10th, we were taking samples as part of our monthly sampling routine. Uh, we took samples to the state lab for analysis, and just before noon today, we were informed that two of those samples tested positive for E. coli. We're also informed that two samples from Flowood, also delivered to the state lab yesterday, also tested positive for E. coli. Having positive results from any system, Jackson's in particular, or any throughout the state, is fairly unusual. Having two positives from two different water systems on the same day, analyzed at the same time, seems highly suspect. You know, we all know laboratories aren't perfect, whether it's a health lab or a water lab. They're run by humans. Mistakes are made. Equipment may malfunction. Cross-contamination happens. They should have standard operating procedures to validate sample results, especially unusual and unexpected results, before they take any action based on those results. We requested the state lab do that this morning when we were told about these sample results, that they uh, validate the samples before they take any action. Uh, They chose not to do that and issued a citywide boil water notice despite our long record of excellent performance, our chlorination record, and in fact, we've had no positive tests uh, in well over a year. We've started the required process of resampling from all those 120 locations to get the state order lifted. We have to do that uh, two consecutive days of no uh, E. coli or positive hits. And we barring any further analysis failures on the lab's part, I am confident we will clear all those samples and be able to lift this. Uh, it's probably really three days when you think of the sampling and the time it takes for the analysis to be done. So um, we're moving as fast as we can to get those samples back to the lab. Uh, They will do their analysis, and we'll find out where we go. I'm confident we'll be lifting the order by Monday. The health department responded to Hennepin's claims in a press release. They say the public health lab followed all procedures and protocols for testing outlined by the EPA. Officials at the lab don't believe there was any contamination of samples and results are not false positives. The lab will be expediting the tests of new samples from both Jackson and Flowood, but will still require two days of clean tests to lift the boil water notices. Coming up, a book about United Auto Workers unionizing in the South and why a full-on effort to unionize the Nissan plant in Canton, Mississippi failed. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Autocorrect on MPB Think Radio, helping you correct your auto problems. Our host is Coach Charlie Milton, ASC Certified Master Technician. Let me help save you some money working on your cars. Listen to our podcast, Autocorrect. What can you do with the MPB Radio app? Listen live, hear local news, view the schedule, make a contribution, listen to shows on demand, and interact with social media. 
Get the app for your smartphone now. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. United Auto Workers Union has pledged to unionize Southern auto workers after it won a new contract from the big three automakers in November. This isn't the union's first attempt to win a large foothold in the South. In 2017, the union campaigned to represent all workers at the Nissan plant in Canton, Mississippi. But workers ultimately voted nearly two to one against unionizing. Stephen Sylvia wrote the book, UAW's Southern Gamble. He spoke to Stephen Basaha of the Gulf States Newsroom about why that Nissan union campaign failed and what it means for UAW's new Southern push. What made that campaign unique? The campaign by the UAW in Canton, Mississippi, was a unique one because the UAW decided to stress civil rights and point out that joining a union is indeed a civil right and a human right. And it's recognized in several different places, including uh, by the International Labor Organization, to some extent by the United Nations. Now, following on, what the UAW did is they focused on community organizing in a way that they did not in the other drives that they did in the 2000 teens. In particular, they focused on African-American churches and the African-American community because the employees in that plant are 80% African-American. So it made sense for them to do that. And they were pretty effective in organizing the community. They were also effective in organizing local universities where there was a large black student body. So um, as far as the external side of a unionization drive, the UAW did the best of the three plants that it was trying to organize at the time in, in Canton, Mississippi. Yeah, and that on an external side, it wasn't even just a local community. You also had it was a big international deal. And on the national side, you had like Bernie Sanders coming in, actor Danny Glover. You had support from political leaders in France and uh, Brazil. So this was yeah. a big deal. They did a lot of international organizing, and they even got the issue to be discussed in the in the French National Assembly, in the Brazilian Parliament. And in they got letters from uh, unions from, I think it was about 20 different countries. So they really stressed the international side and, and were pretty successful in, in pulling things together. Is now all that local and international and national support sounds like they were successful there. How successful were they with the workers themselves? They had trouble getting more than a third or so of the employees to be uh, willing to vote for the union. So when they went to vote, they they lost by a a pretty big margin. So how effective then do you think this, because ultimately they they did lose here, but how, it sounds like you you had a lot of praise for the civil rights angle of this campaign. I think it makes sense. And, And the one thing that I think is worth pointing out is the UAW has a historical track record of strong support for uh, the civil rights movement during the 1960s. The single 
biggest contributor to the March on Washington in 1963 was the UAW. And they contributed. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. You see of the 1963 March on Washington, Walter Ruther, the UAW president, standing next to Martin Luther King. So when uh, Martin Luther King was jailed in Birmingham, the UAW sent down a couple of the, the officers of the union with money belts with tens of thousands of dollars strapped to them in order to bail out Martin Luther King. So the UAW, you know, really has the, you know, the street cred to be supporting civil rights. And that's something that they that they brought up. So it sounds like this effective messaging, though, wasn't enough to overcome pretty aggressive anti-union messaging from Nissan. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, and, you know, part of the thing is uh, this, the familiar story about these plants in the South that you had a plant set in a rural area. And for the employees, many of them have this is the best job they've ever had. And it's the best job they ever will have that they've gone from, you know, renting a trailer to owning a house. And, you know, they're getting a, a reduced rate lease on uh, cars so they can get a pretty good car. So working at one of these plants can be life changing. So they'll look at it and say, you know, I understand what the UAW is saying, that they might be able to protect me more, um, but I really don't want to take the risk. That was Stephen Sylvia talking about his book, UAW Southern Gamble. He spoke with the Gulf States Newsroom reporter Stephen Basaha. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public radio stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Coming up, the Mississippi Children's Museum is hosting an event this weekend to teach kids the art of storytelling. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Did you get a new vehicle this holiday season? Car, truck, boat, riding lawnmower? That vehicle you no longer need can contribute to MPB continuing to provide award-winning productions, educational resources, and acclaimed news reporting. We accept all types of vehicles, even motorcycles or airplanes, with complimentary free towing included. Learn about our program or submit your information on our website, mpbonline.org. I'm Scott Tong. This weekend, the only Chinese-speaking democracy, Taiwan, holds its presidential election. Across the strait, China will be watching closely as Beijing claims the island as part of its territory. What the election means for democracy and Chinese identity across generations. Next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Mississippi Children's Museum in Jackson and Meridian are hosting events tomorrow to teach kids about storytelling. Artists will be at each event to show children the many ways to tell stories from writing to using technology, and they get hands-on learning in the process. 
Monique Ely is Director of Education and Experiences at the Children's Museum in Jackson, and she says they'll have expert cartoonists, writers, musicians, documentarians, and more. We are gearing up for our annual storytelling festival. This is actually an event that is held at both our Jackson and Meridian locations each year in January. And the whole premise behind this event is just to engage children and families in how they share and tell their stories and also expose them to the different ways that people do share and tell their stories. Um, So we have documentary filmmaking, we have illustrations, we have music and all the ways um, that people can can tell their stories. And so that's what this event is uh, centered around. It's just teaching and celebrating storytelling. And this is an event that you hold often, yearly? Yes, this is an annual event. It's always held in January each year. Um, it's always the Saturday before Martin Luther King holiday. And uh, we've been doing it at our Jackson location for about 10 years, I believe. Um, and then we also do it at our Meridian location. And it's at the same day and time in both locations. What makes storytelling something that children would be interested in? Children love books and stories. You know, if you if you get their attention with a good book, um, you know, it, it's captivating. But it's important that we keep in mind the way that traditions are passed down and the way that, you know, family stories are passed down. And we want to teach them um, all the ways in which that is possible because that's traditionally how people learned who they were and who their families were is how those stories were told. Years and years ago, it was through quilt making. People don't know the history of quilts and how each patch told a different story and family members would sew those quilts. And so uh, we just want to expose them to that. But we also want to, um, and also open up potential possibilities as it relates to career exploration. You know, um, children don't know unless they're exposed. And so we want to expose them to authors and illustrators and filmmakers um, of all art forms so that they can explore and learn about themselves, their likes and dislikes, but also just learn how they can keep their stories. Is there an art to storytelling? Absolutely. Um, Storytelling is an art. There are various forms to that art. And so um, this weekend in Jackson, particularly, we'll have people from various art forms. We'll have sculptors. We'll have West African drummers. We'll have authors and illustrators, um, cartoonists. So, yes, there's absolutely an art to it, and that's what we want to teach and expose children and families to. This will not be a lecture style. This will be hands-on interactive workshops at set times throughout the day that children and their families can attend and actually engage with the West African drummer. They will actually be able to play on the drums and learn some of those call-outs and how those stories were told. Um, So it's definitely an art. When I think about storytelling, I also think about a poetry slam where people get up and they're very expressive and they share a unique story. Will there be any of that going on? There won't be necessarily poetry slam, uh, but you're absolutely right. That is is another form. Um, But they will be able to write um, short stories or learn how to 
uh, began writing documentaries and expressing their thoughts and their feelings with the drumming and, and the other music forms. Um, I believe, you know, I can kind of equate that to similar to a poetry slam where they'll be able to learn some of those songs and call outs and express themselves um, to the beat of a drum. So uh, there'll be lots of interaction, lots of engagement, um, and, you know, just exposing them to all of the various forms. They'll be making comic strips, and we'll have uh, people like Marshall Ramsey, you know, uh, who was a cartoonist. He'll be there walking them through how his process works when he is drawing, and they'll actually get to draw as well. We'll have uh, Chuck Gailey, who was an amazing artist and illustrator, uh, Sarah Francis Hardy. So we just have a really great list of, of artists of different forms, and the children will learn and, and go through their processes with them. Monique Ely is Director of Education and Experiences at the Mississippi Children's Museum in Jackson. The event is tomorrow, January 13th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.